you know, Jose Luis kind of pulled us down a little ways. And then he got out the towel to kind of wipe down the bow of the boat because these are really nice skiffs and they keep them super clean. And, and it was just covered in mud from this cayman. And he goes to dunk this towel. And the cayman had taken off and we thought it was long gone. But he goes to dunk this towel in the water on the side of the skiff. And I you not, the thing came full out of the water and missed his hand by like three inches or less. I mean, snapped right at his hand. That was Nick Torres with a close encounter with one of the many wild animals in northern Argentina. Cayman, piranhas, and golden dorado today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? I wanted to give you a quick highlight of this huge uh, Argentina Golden Dorado trip we are giving away right now in connection with Waterworks Lampson. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash gold, G-O-L-D, to sign up right now. Or you can just click the link in our show notes uh, that'll take you there and you can sign up really quick and enter this massive, uh, amazing giveaway. We're going to dig into it today and shed some light on the trip. So you know uh, what to expect. And also, if you maybe want to put this trip together on your own, um, we're going to talk about why this place is so powerful. Today's episode is presented by the Fly Fishing Film Tour. They're back again. Don't miss this year's F3T as it returns to theaters near you for another huge season on the water. They have a cool uh, little trailer section on their website. Uh, You can check out right now and see what sort of movies are on tap this year. And over the past years, you can check it all out right now. I know they've had some Golden Dorado. I just can't remember exactly off the top of my head. But check it out. Uh, Always loaded with action and all sorts of greatness. Wetflyswing.com slash F3T to find a showing near you. That's wetflyswing.com slash F3T. Check it out. Nick Torres from Waterworks Lamps and takes us on a journey today to one of the most spectacular locations on the globe. Northern Argentina for Golden Dorado, Piranha, uh, I mean, some pig animal <laughs> that we talk about. This place, uh, actually, rhino, rhino animal. This, this is really amazing, actually. This episode is sweet. Uh, Nick uh, really gives us a feel of what it actually feels like to go there. Talks about this 22-pound Dorado he caught on the last cast. It was definitely the last cast. His guide even said, this is the last cast. Uh, we get into it all, so I hope you enjoy this one. And I know my bucket list just keeps growing, so I guess that's a good thing. But uh, let, let's get into it. So without further ado, here is Nick Torres from waterworks-lampson.com. How's it going, Nick? Great. How's it going today, Dave? Good, good. Thanks for putting this one together. We uh, we were just talking about the last time you were on, episode 213. We talked about another great trip. It seems like you're going on all these like great trips around the world. Is this something like this was part of your master plan? Um, no, not, not at all. This was <laughs> this one was kind of, uh, you know, a little bit out of necessity. We we're needing uh, some, you know, some content on our new rods and, and uh, the velocity rods and the light speed F reels and you know, just kind of came about organically through talking with uh, Santi over at Nervous Waters and some other friends in the industry. We put together a, a little trip and mm-hmm. pretty stoked to to give one away too. Yeah, and honestly, it's yeah, it's been kind of a busy year. A uh, couple of trips, but 
you know, one of them was just a friend's wedding in Mexico and was lucky enough to tack on a couple extra days of fishing and, um, yeah, but it's been a good year. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's awesome. I think you're, I think we're all chomping up the bit to get out and do some more trips, you know, as we, as we're heading out of, uh, away from COVID slowly. Uh, so this is good. And we're going to talk about, uh, this Dorado trip and we're going to dig into this and we'll talk a little bit about the giveaway. And we'll let people know where we're going to send them, but, um, let's just take it from the top really quick because you were here, I think, yeah, episode 213, it's been about a year. So since then, give us the update. Any big things going on with you and or, or Lampson? Yeah, we, we had our rod releases this summer, some new freshwater rods, the Velocity and the Purist rods, one kind of an all-around workhorse rod in the Velocity and, and a, a real kind of dry fly specialist in that Purist rod. Um, and then, yeah, just getting back out there and finally finally getting to do a little more traveling again, something that I was definitely itching for. Hit up a couple of uh, cool little shows this summer between you know the backcountry hunters and anglers rendezvous and then a deal we do out in new york as well and and yeah just i guess just (laughs) enjoying getting back to some sense of normalcy uh however brief (laughs) that's right it is you know it's like it seems like we start getting back to to normal and then something else happens a war gets declared or (laughs) that's what i was just saying my buddies are joking about because we had a uh, Will Blair on, he talked about that Kamchatka trip and we were like, man, we're getting fired up. And I, was, I think we even talked about it, right? Like, yeah, man, this would be a yeah. cool trip to do. And also you turn around, you're like, well, now that Putin's kind of going crazy, you're kind of thinking that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Right. It's tough. Yeah. It's like, you can't really plan out a, a year out because you don't know what the geopolitical situation is going to be at the time. So yeah, it's the world we're in right now. Well, let's focus on, uh, for this one, where you headed for Golden Draw, because that's this is a species that, I mean, I would love to get to. I think it's on everybody's bucket list, and it just seems like one of those species, like, it's really hard to do. So maybe start there. Is this trip a pretty big challenge to put together? You know, it's it's really not too bad at all, and especially with working with Nervous Waters. They, you know, they handle everything as far as logistics and um, getting all the information you need to prepare for the trip figuring out the best way to get you there, whether it's, you know, ground transfers or air transfers from Buenos Aires to Corrientes. So the golden Dorado fishing is in the North, you know, North Northern section of Argentina. We were fishing the province of Corrientes um, and just, yeah, just an amazing Dorado centered program that nervous waters runs there between two different lodges that they have up there in the North. There you go. So what's that look like? Give us a little rundown. So for if you're leaving, say, Idaho, uh, you're where are you going to give us a little flight, a little itinerary there? Yeah. So the the main flight is going to be, you know, getting down to Buenos Aires, Argentina. It's the capital of Argentina, one of the one of the bigger cities in the world. And if you get a a chance, you know, I do highly recommend spending a, a day or two in Buenos Aires, either before or after your trip, just to get a a sense of what that city's like because it really is one of the coolest cities you know anywhere in the world but yeah so it, it's a long long trip uh obviously you're flying you know halfway around the world basically down to the southern hemisphere especially the southern part of south america but we you know it was pretty painless for us we it was two flights we flew boise to atlanta atlanta to buenos aires and the atlanta buenos aires flight is you know, it's an overnight flight. So you try to sleep most of the time and, and you wake up and you're pretty much there and, and you're good to go. 
Then we did a ground transfer from Buenos Aires to Pita Lodge, uh, which I think, you know, hindsight being 2020, I'm, I might've just done the flight up to Corrientes. Um, it still would have been a, another three hour drive from the airport in Corrientes to get to the lodge, but, uh, it did end up being a, a pretty long drive. I think we left at 11 o'clock AM Argentina time and got there, got to the lodge at like nine, 10 o'clock at night almost. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was a, it was a long drive, but, um, mostly, you know, a lot of it's just because we, the fuel situation down there, a lot of cars, it's, it's very different than the U S there's a lot of cars in Argentina that run on natural gas actually, instead of gasoline and it's cheaper, but you know, they have a lot less room in the tank. And so you get about a hundred kilometers on a tank of natural gas in the car and you got to stop again to, to fill up. And so there's a lot of stops on the way and one flat tire that we had to, you know, stop and change. Yeah. Is it like a white knuckled sort of thing? You're on the edges of cliffs and things like that, or is it pretty standard? No, no, <laughs> not at all. It's like you're on an interstate, you know, in the Midwest or something. You know, gotcha. the, the landscape uh, outside of Buenos Aires is, is called the Pampas, and it's kind of like the, the Great Plains. And so a lot of that drive is just driving through farmland on a, you know, on a very well-kept interstate um, so you're going 65, 70 miles an hour the whole way and you're cruising. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was super relaxed, you know, you stop, get lunch and drink some mate and yeah. So it, even the drive up there, even though it was a long drive, it was really chill. It was just that after a, a long flight and then another long drive on top of it you're definitely ready once you get to the lodge let's just say that <laughs> yeah you're right well take us there take us there now yeah and i wanted to touch on the buenos Aires a little bit but give us the the lodge so you have this 10-hour drive you get to the lodge take us there what's that look like what you you get to what are you seeing so you get to Pita lodge and there's about an hour drive on a gravel road from the highway um to get there and so you're basically in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden the gates open up to this just beautiful manicured estancia basically with you know multiple housing buildings and a main building and a bar and a dining hall and and you're literally you know 150 yards away from from the banks of the you know Ibera marsh there and so oh wow uh, it was pretty pretty awesome you know pulling up to that place so you're right there. So you're right near fishing. Yeah. It's about a, it's like I said, it's about a 150 yard walk from, uh, where you're sleeping and eating breakfast to, um, the dock on, the uh, the marshland there. Another thing is it's so the, I should explain that you bear marshland system. It's a marshlands in Northern Argentina. That's larger than the Florida Everglades. And oh, wow. it's, it's all protected. So it's like a national preserve, so there isn't a lot of people or buildings or anything like that that you're going to see pretty much anywhere. And they have a really cool system set up with, they have flat skiffs, like Florida flats. I think they had Hell's Bay flat skiffs. Um, they had like three or four of them that they use to navigate these, these marshes because, I mean, in some places you're, you're dealing with some really skinny water. And we were dealing with a, a really bad drought at the time so the water was was low to begin with but man these guys can can really handle those boats in the in the marsh it was impressive 
That's cool. So these are so now your fish because there's a couple of different ways to fish Dorado, right? You have kind of these the marsh or the open versus say the jungle. What were you guys fishing there? Yeah, so there's a lot of lot of different ways, really. Um, a lot of people are familiar with the with the golden Dorado fishing in Bolivia, which is you know that's probably going to be more more intense jungle, really small, you know, almost trout like rivers. Whereas in Argentina, you you do have that you know, kind of more in the, in the Northwest, uh, Salta, Curamento, um, those areas, but where we were the marshlands, it's, it's clear water, but it's, it's marsh. Right. And so uh, a lot of sediment and stuff, a lot of the fishing was close quarters, um, throwing a lot of topwater stuff. Like the divers were working really, really good for me and some other flies that we got from Umpqua that were working really well. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, fishing off the front of a skiff, your guide is pulling you through these narrow channels, you know, you're, you're hitting the banks, but also fishing like the middle of the channel, which was something that I had to kind of get used to. You know, I do a lot of bass fishing and I'm, I'm used to Uh hitting structure, hitting the bank, casting at the bank all the time. And they really had to steer me like, no, put it right in the middle. Cause those fish are sitting in the deepest part of that channel, just waiting for something to come by and, and smash it. Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so talk about the Dorado. So why, I mean, for those that a lot of people probably haven't fished for them, why are they so unique, special? Why is this so much different than say any other amazing species you could talk about? Oh man. They're just like the perfect game fish, honestly. Like as far as a freshwater game fish, you really couldn't design anything better for for fly fishing. You know, they're they're aggressive, they're ferocious. They got these big teeth. You know, when when you put a fly in front of them, they're gonna hit it, um, and when they hit it, they're gonna start jumping, which is obviously you know every fisherman yeah loves seeing a, a fish jumping out of the water when they hook it. So. And they jump and jump and jump. Uh, that's the other thing is like they don't stop jumping. Oh, they jump the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So basically, yeah, you have these fish or you get them on and we could talk more about the size too, but these are their cartwheel and they're doing all sorts of just madness until you get them in. And, and how long does that, is that what it's like? And then how long does it take it to get them in? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the name of the game. Also, I mean, there's just so many different ways you can fish for them. You can sight fish to them. You know, you can blind cast for them. You can swing flies, just depending on the ecosystem that you're fishing. And I mean, they're not going to run out a lot of line on you. It's, they don't. They don't go on on really long runs unless unless you get into a really big one on on the big river. But so for the most part, it's like jump, 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 strip them in. Almost, you know, like like a large. Think about a large bass or large smallmouth. Um, as far as as far as the fight, they, you know, they like to dog down after they get a few jumps in them, especially the bigger ones. They'll kind of dog down like a, like a striper or something like that. But yeah, I mean, they're probably my favorite personal fish out there as far as, as far as a freshwater fish. Um, I just love them. So that's it. So you found your, your so you're going back on this trip. So you're going to do Dorado again. It's one of those things. So my dad's from Argentina. And oh, like cool. when I was a kid, he would bring me these, these fishing magazines, you know, when I was in high school and I would look at these cover shots of just massive golden Dorado and be like, what is that? And, uh, ever since then I've, I've liked them a lot. And I've had a few chances to fish for them before this, you know, I lived, I lived in Argentina a little bit in like 2010 and 11 
and just did a lot of DIY stuff, but, but never had a, a lodge experience like this one. It, it was, it was definitely a different level. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. So, okay. So this is giving us a little flavor of what we're expecting. And, uh, and so the, and how big are these fish? So talk about what, what do you get? What's average and what's some bigger ones? What's a big fish? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the cool thing about this program with nervous waters and these two lodges. So two lodges are very different. The, the first lodge, Peter Lodge and the marshlands, that's going to be more of a numbers, you know, game. You're going to catch uh, a good number of fish each day. Average size there, you know, a good average size is probably going to be five to seven pounds. Um, I did manage to catch a 12 plus pound fish each day that I was at PETA. So I, I had some good luck with that. And so, yeah, like an eight to 10 pound fish would be, would be a good fish, but I mean, they get up to 15, 20 pounders in there. They're there. It's just, just finding them. Finding them. So it's kind of like a steelhead, similar to a steelhead size. Yeah. Yeah. On the large side. I mean, it's. Yeah, you could you could compare it to that, especially these fish almost have that salmonoid head to them, you know. You know, it's like this it's almost like a salmon style head with like the flank of a a striper or something. But um yeah. But huh. yeah, so that that's kind of going to be like the upper, you know, level of size at Peter Lodge is is that 15 to 20 pounds. And then, you know, four and a half hour drive from Peter you go to Suinda Lodge, which is a lodge that's on the banks of the upper Parana River, the main the main Parana River, which is, I mean, it's the second largest river in, in South America after the Amazon. Oh, wow. So if you think about, like, fishing the Mississippi River or something on that scale, um, that's kind of, kind of the size that you're dealing with there. And that fishery is a trophy, you know, a large fish fishery. You know, less numbers, but you have the chance at a true giant there. You know, some of the biggest oh, Dorado right. anywhere in the world. There you go. There you go. So, so you got your, so they have it all here. What, what's the, and including the sight fishing. So you did some sight fishing out there? A little bit. Like it really depends at Suina's is kind of where you're going to do more of the sight fishing. The upper Paranau river is so large that you got, there's a lot of islands and then there's a lot of almost like flats areas where you'll have just a sandy bottom. That's, you know, three to four feet deep that'll stretch for, you know, a large, large distance. And you kind of cruise those flats in the boat looking for schools of Sabalo, which are the, the main bait fish that, that the Dorado feed on. And the water on those sand flats is, is clear enough that you can really see stuff. And uh, you just look for those yellow flashes around the schools of Sabalo. I didn't get into one sight fishing on this trip but i did back in like 2014 just kind of diy in it walking those flats and it's really cool when it all comes together it's cool what is the uh if you take us just a an example of a a take or a hookup on a fish do you have a memorable fish that you can kind of give us tell us that story real quick yeah probably the, the last fish of the trip for me Ended up being my biggest fish of the trip. It was, you know, second to last day. We were at Suinda Lodge. Last, la- it was, I mean, you hear about those last cast stories a lot. Yeah. It was legit last cast. Did you actually say this is my last cast? Guide shouted <laughs> it out. He's like, okay, last cast. It was, you know, it was pretty much dark. I had just thrown on actually a, a big musky fly uh, that I, I took some musky flies down there thinking some of those big fish at Suinda might might be into them 
and um, threw out a big backhand cast, and we were actually swinging, swinging a fly on a on a sinking line. And about halfway through that swing, yeah, got that grab, that just massive grab that you know it's a it's a good one, and you know put the metal down and and put a good hook set into it. And then you just hear it coming up and then you really know, like it sounds like a little kid jumping off the dock or something Um, when you hear that splash. And yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. We got it, got it to the boat and, and scooped it after a few jumps ended up being a, a 22 pound fish. Oh, wow. Huge. Biggest one of the trip for me. My photographer actually got an even bigger one that same day that morning, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that one was probably the most memorable for me too, just cause it was one of those, you know, every once in a while you almost feel it like you feel like it's going to happen before it happens. You know what I mean? Like every once in a while you just get that feeling. And, and it was one of those situations. It was just like, Oh, this feels good. We're in the right spot, right time. Right. You know, the sun just went down. Come on, you know, like, we got about five minutes left and we're leaving and then boom, it just happens. And, and, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's one I, I will definitely never forget. And we could probably see that, uh, on social media somewhere. Can we see that picture of you with the fish? It'll be up there at some point. I don't know if I've really posted it yet, but yeah, I mean, once we, once we start blasting the giveaway and stuff, I'm sure yeah, it'll be up there. I'll Good. send it over to you so you can, you can put yeah. it up the podcast. It was a fun one. Oh, good. I'll put that in the show notes and put it out there. And, and what, uh, so what was the line? You mentioned a sinking line. What were you using for lines there? Do you have to have a bunch of different lines when you go out there? Yeah. So for those, yeah, I mean, I took quite a lot of gear down mostly because we were really testing out these velocity rods. We were fishing mostly the velocity eight weight had some seven weights and some nine weights as well. Uh, took a couple of those cobalt saltwater nine weights just for a, a bigger rod for throwing those big sinking lines at, at Suinda. But like at, at Pita Lodge, you know, a seven, eight weight is, is really all you need because you're mostly only throwing floating lines there. And, uh, and then at, at Suinda, it's going to be kind of a combination between floating lines and sinking lines and had some rods to try to target Paku as well, which are those big, you know, dinner plate shaped, fish that have the human like teeth they eat the nuts that fall out of the trees and stuff oh right right yeah the paku did you catch one of those we did not find any of those it was a real issue because the drought was just i mean it i think it's one of the worst droughts they've had in 50 60 years and so normally the water's underneath the the branches of the trees and those fish hang out there and, and wait for fruit but oh yeah that's right. You use the tree, the branch. You use like a, the flies are like they look like a shrubbage, right? Or are they like like leaves and stuff? Yeah, it's basically a ball. It looks like a gumball almost. Yeah. And you just plop it, you know, plop it down. It looks like the the fruits that fall out of the trees. Right. But the water was just so low that it had receded away from the the trees, and so oh, gotcha. Yeah, it made the paku fishing a little more challenging. But normally, I think, yeah, you can expect to get into a a few paku. While you're there for sure. Gotcha. So you're using a, so line wise, and you're just using a, like a, whatever, a sink tip on your lines. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, we're fishing all scientific angler lines. So on the sink lines, we're using the custom jungle tip line that they have, which is a, it's a sinking line that you can really customize for whatever size rod you're fishing. 
you know, anything from a 12 weight down to like a, a seven or eight weight. And so you can, you can actually cut that tip to size. I found it worked pretty well for us just out of the box. Cause we were really trying to get down there. It was a fast current, you know, in that big river and, uh, you're swinging these flies in front of structure, like boulders or, or trees or things like that. And so, yeah, you, you want to get a little depth on them, get in the zone, but get a little depth. Yeah. And then we are also using the, the jungle. Oh gosh, I don't have it right in front of me here, but the warm water jungle floating line Titan. Oh, the Titan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, those two lines just were great, great for us. That's it. So that's it. So you got some sink tips in there and then in, on that fish, that 22 pounder, you had it. So you were, were you swinging? I should probably explain like the leader and, and yeah. Yeah. Why don't you do that real quick and tip it and everything. Yeah. Cause you're definitely, so you're, you're throwing like 40 pound fluoro. Um, you could even probably go bigger than that with a, you know, 30 to 40 pound wire, uh, leader. These fish have huge teeth. Well, not huge teeth, but really sharp teeth. And, um, oh. And fairly big teeth, you know, and they can cut through even the wire leaders, like they can cut through those on occasion. So it's definitely a must to take a lot of wire down there. If you're going to be, if you're going to be fishing for them and, you know, a a good pair of pliers that you can cut the wire with is is kind of a necessity as well. But yeah, just an FYI. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. And are you, and you're kind of on the the boat the whole time on the skiff? Yeah. So at Peter Lodge, we did on occasion get out. And uh, walk the banks and kind of fish the banks, you know, two anglers at a time. Um, and that was that was really cool, being able to kind of walk and stalk them a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, no, most of the trip, and especially at Suina Lodge on the main Parana River, like, yeah, you're in the boat. Um, there are some opportunities to get out and walk those flats that I was talking about. At the same time, there's huge freshwater rays that like to hang out on those those flats. And oh, yeah. you don't want to get stuck by one of those either. Oh, yeah, you know, they they can shoot pretty bad barb in your leg or, or whatever. There's a few things down there that can kill you or at least uh, maim you pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I should talk about PETA a little bit because at PETA Lodge was just, I mean, I was just blown away by the ecosystem there in the marshlands. It was just life everywhere. Like, the water was full of life. The land and the banks were full of life. The sky was, I mean, it was just like, hundreds of different bird species um you know oh, eight yeah. foot ten foot caiman crocs lining the banks oh, of wow. the river oh everywhere so how are you getting out of the way of those guys giant capybara which is the world's largest rodent it's almost like a like a small hippo that's covered in fur if you think wow. about it because they hang out on the banks and they swim around in the water but they're they look like a giant rat or gerbil or something and yeah, those things and, and the big crocs were basically everywhere. And so this is kind of like a, like if you're up in Alaska with the bears where they're not really messing with you too much unless you surprise them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like when I got out and w- when we walked the bank a little bit, like you'd be, I don't know, 20, 30 feet away from a, a caiman. And they're not oh, all really? huge. Like some of them are, you know, they range in size between three feet and, you know, up to eight, 10, 12 <laughs> I I wasn't expecting to see him that big. Like it was no, no. Like I've always thought of Kyman as being like mini Crocs. You know, like right. We actually had a, a situation on 
on day three at Peter Lodge where our guide, uh, you know, he's pulling us through this little channel and I'm on the bow fishing. And I mean, when I say these little channels, we're talking like 10 feet wide, 15 feet wide, sometimes five feet wide. Um, so really skinny and he's kind of hugging the bank a little bit and we didn't see this thing. I'm on the bow. We're literally like 12 inches from the bank kind of brushing up into it and there must have been a big caiman just sitting under just underwater on that bank and we basically like sandwiched this croc into the bank with the skiff oh man none of us had seen it and like i'm putting a cast out and all of a sudden it's just whack and this thing just smacks the side of the butt like i almost fell off the other side holy just cow threw mud and water all over the bow of the boat and we're like oh man that was that was interesting. And, uh, like, geez, pissed him off. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, he was pissed, (laughs) but floated down. Like, I don't know, 30, 40 yards, you know, Jose Luis kind of pulled us down a little ways. And then he, he got out the towel to kind of wipe down the bow of the boat. Cause these are really nice skiffs and they keep them super clean. And it was just covered in mud from this cayman. And, he goes to dunk this towel and the Cayman had taken off and we thought it was long gone, but he goes to dunk this towel in the water on the side of the skiff. And I you not, this thing came full out of the water and missed his hand by like, Oh wow. Three inches or less. I mean, snapped right at his hand, came out of the water, probably, you know, two feet out of the water with its head. And, uh, he was like, you can tell he was a little bit shake. I mean, these guys are pretty badass, but, He's like, yeah, I've been guiding here for 12 years and that's never happened. So he almost lost his hand. It was, and and me and Jay are looking at each other like, who's going to drive the boat out of here? (laughs) Right. Cause it's just a maze. And so he wasn't playing it off. Like, uh, you know, sometimes this happens and they play it off like no big deal. You could actually see it was a big deal on this guy's face. Um, I mean, to a certain degree, just the fact that he's like, yeah, I could see it on his face. The fact that he's like. 12 years of doing this and nothing like that's ever even come close to happening. And God, and you know, he's just, crazy. you know, he's, he's laughing, but it's a little bit of a nervous laugh. you know. <laughs> and we're all just like, Holy. Today's episode is presented by stonefly nets, putting quality before quantity with their handcrafted custom wood landing nets. If you've listened before, you know my net history. I wasn't much of a net person until connecting with Ethan. And ever since then, it has been awesome. It's made everything much easier. Landing fish, taking the fly out. Literally, if you are not a net person, you'll find that sometimes you don't even have to touch the fly or the fish. Uh, Keep it in the water. Don't touch the fly. Don't touch the fish. Keep it in the water. Release it. A net is where to go. I'm not sure if we could use these nets on uh, Golden Dorado. I'm pretty sure we could. Maybe we'll leave that for Ethan to chime in here uh, eventually and see if we've got a Golden Dorado net. Uh, but it's he's all about customizing, so he's going to put it together for you when you get a chance. Uh, check in with Ethan at uh, their website, stoneflynets.com, and he can build something to order, or you can select from sizes and wood options on the website. Ethan has always the great memory of his connection with his grandma and the family back in the day. And he always thinks about this when building these custom nets. He wants this to last a lifetime and allow you to pass it down for generations. That's my plan. 
and I'm excited to share them with you. Check it out, wetflyswing.com slash stonefly to get started right now. S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y. Go for it. Okay, back to the show. And you have these other things, these hippo, these hairy hippo things. I mean, capybara. Yeah, give us a little a minute summary on these guys. So what now is this just as dangerous or well? No, they're not not dangerous at all. No, they're vegetarians. No. They're okay. uh they're basically like giant like dogs on the bank of the, <laughs> the river. Gotcha. Giant hamsters, I guess you'd you'd call them. No, they uh they live in big family groups and so when you see them you see a bunch of them. You know, from little babies to big, you know, we're sitting there thinking like, how are these things not just getting snacked on by these gators all the time? But I think it's that whole, you know, family group safety and numbers oh, type yeah. thing. Yeah. But uh, it's just cool seeing so much wildlife and just the bird life there is is incredible. Like if you're a birder, wow. it would be, uh, it'd be really cool. This is epic. And as you're pulling through the marsh, I mean, the, the water is literally you're watching like fish swimming through the water everywhere. Like whether it's piranha, sabalo, there's a lot of smaller little, you know, bait fish. And yeah. So just, just life everywhere in the marsh. Yeah. So you're not really swimming. You're not swim taking a dip in the water out there too often. No, no. So the piranhas was another thing that surprised me they were everywhere and almost to the point you know you catch the first one and you're like oh cool big you know big piranha it's a new species but they literally slice your fly down to the to the nub um oh wow in seconds their teeth are i mean they're like fly tying scissors it's just and and they're everywhere and so i mean the first morning i think i went through like nine streamers or something like that before lunch like just fighting off okay. the piranha um so you won't really want to yeah you won't want to stick your toes in there with like a cut on them or something like that because there would be uh some consequences damn this is cool so this is yeah that's the cool thing about this area is not only do you have the dorado and, and the great fishing but it's a unique experience and all the wildlife and um jeez i mean you're, you're painting a pretty cool picture what else it reminded me of like scenes of Africa and stuff that I've seen just with all the gators and the capybara on the banks. It's like a mini, I don't know. I, you know, I haven't been to Africa. That's, that's on the list for sure. But exactly. You know, I've seen enough national geographic shows to, you know, to see those, those gators over there. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. I just, I'd always thought of Cayman, you know, even in South America as being small, you know, like, two to four to six feet maybe like the six footers or the big ones but no there's there's big ones at this place um that yeah, one that we yeah. bumped up against the bank it was as big as our skiff like as long oh, as wow. our skiff it was probably like 12 footer you know like oh my gosh cool well was, this is it, it was so cool you, so you painted an awesome picture of, and and i want to go back to that fish so we had that nice that last day the 22 pounder so you had the sinking line and were you were you just swinging this across off of the skiff and just like you looked at a spot and said that looks like a deep hole i'm going to swing it there yeah yeah well so the, the guides have it pretty dialed in and for some reason that day was the the big fish day so my my photographer travis that morning and myself that morning we both got into you know larger fish i started out that day with like a 16, 17 pound fish first thing in the morning. And 
Travis was in another boat and he hooked into a, and landed a like 28, 29 pound fish massive. Wow. And then I finished that night with that, with that 22. And so I don't know what it was about that day, but that seemed to be the, the golden the day, day for us. Yeah. And the program there at Suinda, you know, it was really dictated by the heat and the drought that we were dealing with. I mean, they always, I think, start pretty early, but we were, we were on the boats at like 5, 5.30 in the morning and then, you know, out there and start casting in the dark while the sun's coming up. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then back to the lodge at like 10, 10.30, nice long siesta and lunch break. And then back to the boats at like 5.30, 6 o'clock to fish until dark. So you're really targeting sunrise, sun, sunset. Oh, okay. Pita Lodge was a little bit different. It was more like 8 to noon and then 4 to 8 or something like that. But it was just, I mean, we we're dealing with like 105, 110 degree days there at, oh, wow. uh, at Suina. So it was, it was hot. It was hot. And again, you're not, you're not jumping in the water to cool off. You're just sitting out in the heat. Loving it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you jump in the pool once you get back to the lodge. Oh, there's a pool right there. Oh, yeah. Of course, there's a pool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I should talk about that a little bit more. These these lodges <laughs> are not your average. Um, this is a five star or whatever, six star. It was it was legit five, six star all the way across the board as far as the, the rooms and the accommodations, the hospitality and the staff and the food. The food was just, I mean, the food was the star of the show. What, what's a typical, what's a good uh, meal, like at, uh, say, uh, lunch or dinner? Well, yeah, Argentina is pretty famous for their food. I don't know if, if you've heard that before, but yeah, no. a lot of people come back come back from that country raving about the, the food. And it's a, it's a beef-centric culture. So oh, there you go. A lot of meat. A lot of meat. Yep. Argentines are are famous for doing asados, which basically is like a, a barbecue, but for them it's kind of an all day experience and, and it's a lot of different meat. And so, I mean, the first night we got there, we started out with a lamb on the cross for dinner, you know, where mm. they butterfly open a, a whole lamb, slow cook it on the side of the fire throughout the day. Jeez. It's probably one of my favorite meals. It's pretty amazing. And then hors d'oeuvres before you know lunch and dinner every day and amazing desserts and just yeah really really well professionally trained five-star chefs at both lodges uh they're great danielle he was awesome he would come out and kind of explain uh the food and, and the meal for the night oh, right. pretty much everything is locally sourced which makes it really good as well so just really really good food Perfect. You got it all. So, so you got the food, you got the swimming pool, the, the law and the fishing, of course, is, and, and when you go back to the fishing, is it, um, like numbers of fish? So on that place where you're getting less, less size, but a lot more fish, what do you get? Are you getting kind of a half a dozen fish a day or are you getting a lot more than that? More, more than that. A dozen to, I mean, it depends on the day, but like that first day for me, it was just pretty special um lost count of fish honestly so you're just catching tons of dorado the morning was a little tough you know we got into a couple right away and then it was just piranha city everywhere we went but that evening jose and he's the head guide there one of the better better guiding experiences that i've probably ever had he was he was just awesome 
really experienced. He's guided all over the place and uh, knows that water, you know, better than most. And that there night he just, yeah, he put me on him and we were, you know, catch fish, sit down, talk to Jose for a while and, you know, drink a beer and get up and catch a couple more. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was putting him on the rod, you know, getting him on some oh, fish right. and uh, I was just, Oh, cool. You were pulling. I tried pulling and, uh, it was not like pulling on, on the flats anywhere that I've been. It was, huh. uh, it was tough in that marsh cause it's pretty decently strong current. Oh, okay. And it's just mucky kind of down on the bottom and I'm not an experienced puller to begin with. So, but like we could hug up on the, he would basically use that pole as an anchor, you know, and hug up on the bank and, and we would fish, you know, off the, off the bow. And so that's what we did with, with Jose. Yeah. So he'd, he'd hold you there in, in the spot and then, wow, this is cool. Yeah. So this sounds like, like we said, this has kind of got it all wildlife and, um, the lodge. Uh, what else would you throw out there, you know, as far as this trip? I mean, we've talked a little about the fishing. Anything else you want to hit on before we start to head out of here? Just the the people and the staff. I, I really can't say it enough how, how great they all were. A real kind of family vibe to the whole thing. You know, they would hang out at dinner and, and at the bar and uh, just getting to know the staff and the guides and, and everybody there. It was, it was special for sure. That's cool. Uh, did you, uh, and I wanted to head back at the start, we talked about the um, Buenos Aires, right, is is this a big city. Let's uh, hold that one just for a second and, and talk about how many nights yeah. you were there. So you came in, you came in for, you know, you did the hour-long trip down the gravel road, get to the lodge. So now you're there for what, like uh, like five nights or something like that? Yeah, so the Dorado program with Nervous Waters, the, the two-lodge program, it's a six-day fishing program. So it was seven nights, six days three days fishing at Peter Lodge and then three days fishing at Suinda. Mm-hmm. And we went straight, straight to the lodges once we got to Buenos Aires. After we were done fishing, we did spend a couple nights in Buenos Aires uh, before we flew back to the States. But yeah, that's kind of the program for the, for the fishing. It's, it's a six day, seven night. And that's kind of, it, it's like a double, double program. So a lot of people just do like, you know, four nights, three days, fishing at, at Pita Lodge and that'll be their trip oh, or gotcha. vice versa with Suina. Um, this program is kind of for like the hardcore Dorado fishing experience kind of. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. So, so basically you guys were there a week and then, so on your way out, uh, you hop back in the car and go and did you stick, uh, you spent a, na- a day or two? We actually flew back. So we flew back from, uh, from Suina to Buenos Aires because Suina is a lot closer to the Corrientes airport. It's only about an hour drive. And we were able to just, yeah, drive drive from the lodge to the airport, hop a flight. It was like two hours back to Buenos Aires. And then, yeah, spent a couple days there. And I got to show my buddies around a little bit because oh, I know that city pretty well. Because you know it. Well, what makes that city uh, so special? I mean, it sounds like it's huge. Uh, but what is so cool about that city? Oh, it's... <laughs> It's hard to explain, kind of. You know, it's very different than what you would expect a, a Latin American city to be like, or or a South American city to be like. It's very unique in Latin America that way. They call it kind of the Paris of South America, I, I guess, because it's very European influenced, right? All the architecture is very European. It's uh-huh. you know, it's kind of classic Parisian architecture. Um, you know, in the right. late eighteen hundreds, they had 
they had some of the best architects from from France come and, and do a lot of their their buildings and oh wow and just the culture the people the food yeah you know it's it's one of the world's great cities it's 40% of the national population live in in the Buenos Aires area i think it's like 8 million people something like that 8 million and are they taking siestas there <laughs> they do. I mean, it depends what part of the city you're in, but no, you're right. Because I love, I love any place that takes a siesta. That's part of the reason why I'm thinking. Like, I, I think they got it figured out. You know, what I mean, take a nap in the middle of the day sounds like a great idea. They really do. Like stores close at, at midday. It's just part of the culture. And you know, w- when you eat dinner at eleven o'clock at night, twelve o'clock at night, every night, and then you get up at seven in the morning to go to work and. So that that's just kind of part of their part of their process, and it depends. Like obviously downtown Buenos Aires, you know, in the, the bustling city, nothing right. ever closes. Um, yeah. But like in the in the boroughs and the the different neighborhoods, you know, you think about it like New York City. You got Manhattan, um, but then you also have like Queens and Brooklyn and um, mm. the Bronx and all these different boroughs and and neighborhoods, right? Yeah. And that's where it's a little bit more of a slower pace. You know, it's the kioscos and the the grocery stores will close from like two to four or something like that. And it's nice. That's it. That's it. And it sounds like this is a full, obviously a full experience when you compare, say, the fishing you had there with the Dorado and everything versus just the whole experience. Is that kind of like a 50-50 thing or do you feel like the trip itself is just you know, one thing kind of is more powerful for you. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, like that's the whole point of this stuff is the fishing is awesome, but it really is about the whole, the whole experience, the people, you know, the people, the places, the, the wildlife, you know, the, it's the whole package. That's why I love doing this kind of stuff. It's just, I feel like I grow as a person every time I come back from one of these things. And there really is, the whole experience. I mean, yeah, you could totally just, especially if you had a, you know, your own plane or something, <laughs> you could fly yeah. right into the lodge, fly back out to Buenos Aires and, and head straight back to the States and head home. But, you know, you'd just be missing out on a lot of stuff. And that's, that's some of the best stuff of the trip. Give yourself, I always like the, you know, you're going doing for a week, but it would be nice to even have like a month or two, you know, where you're like, Hey, I'm just going to, you know, take a month or two and hang out here and really, and really experience, you know, the people and right. That's kind of the, yeah. I mean, if we, if we could all do that, that's what I did. I, that's what I did basically out of college was I just, I was like, I'm moving down there and, you know, got to, got to spend a good year down there and, and kind of get to know stuff a little bit better than you normally would. It helped that right. I have, you know, family and relatives and stuff down there that I could hit up, but yeah, I can't remember if we talked about that on the last episode, but so your your dad was did you grow up down there or what was the what was the connection there? No, I grew up in in South Dakota, um but my dad was from Argentina originally and and so I had these aunts and uncles and cousins that I didn't really know too well and wanted to get down there and and kind of experience that whole scene. No, I'm yeah, from South Dakota. My dad's been in South Dakota for almost 50 years at this point, but that's where my mom's from. So they have a long story. They met in Spain in the seventies and then moved back to the States and it's a whole, whole deal. But, but that was kind of my connection down there. So it, it is, I do gotcha. have, you know, a, a more kind of a deeper connection probably than the average person that's going to go down there. But I think everybody 
you know, especially my friends that have gone down and, um, you know, gets that same experience of just the hospitality, the the food, the people, the, the places. That's it. That's really cool. Yeah. So, Nice. Well, I, th- I feel like we have a, I have a good feel a little bit of uh, what it's going to take in this trip. Um, did we highlight, do we do a good job highlighting enough things here or anything else you want to dig into on the fishing? No, um, I think that's about, I guess I didn't really tell you about, so we did have one of our crew members go down pretty hard with a stomach bug. Um, oh, there you and go. And that, that threw a little wrench in things and we're all very worried about the COVID situation, but you know, multiple tests right. showed that he was good. But it definitely took him out of commission, and we still have no clue what it was. Um, nobody, you know, we were all eating and drinking the same stuff. Nobody else had any issues. But yeah, I mean, make sure you bring, you know, some medications and stuff down there just to, yeah. just to have, just in case. You never know. That's right. You need some strong stuff, and yeah, and probably activated charcoal probably isn't going to be good enough down there. <laughs> you probably need something <laughs> a little more serious. <laughs> That which, which does work well. It was weird. It was, I mean, especially you know, Jay has traveled all over the world, been more places than just about anybody I know. Kind of the last person I expected to to get a little bug like that. But it just shows you like it can happen to anybody, and it's just yeah. you gotta be you know, ready. It's yeah, you just gotta hope for the best, but prepare. Nice. Well, well, let's let's do the quick little out of here, uh, kind of top flies, uh, and maybe a couple of tips, and um, maybe some resources here. So, what what were you, you mentioned? Those flies getting eaten up. What, what was your you know if you had to pick two flies for Dorado, what are they? Well, there's the Andino Deceiver. It's kind of a, a bait fish pattern. But honestly, for me, there's two patterns that that really killed it for me down there that I got from Umqua flies. One of them is called a, a Jungle Junkie, and gosh, I know the the original tire that licensed it to him and i can't think of his name right now and that thing was just a big fish magnet i mean i think i caught all my big fish at peter lodge on that fly um and then the other one was the divers so a red and white diver was was really good i'd say those two flies were definitely my my two favorites of the trip there you go and uh and i'll put some links out in the show notes to maybe mice flies oh and mice you're doing mice too yeah, so you, at Peter Lodge, you can catch them on the mouse pretty pretty consistently. Oh, um, wow. You know, functioning a lot kind of like the diver. You're, you're just kind of swinging it, stripping it through those narrow channels, and they'll come up, and they like to eat top water for sure. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Gosh, so you got the mice too. Okay, and and what about – so you're out there with the, on this skiff or maybe on the bank, and give us a couple of tips. What, what are the What's the guide telling you? How are you – if somebody was out there getting ready for this, you know, what should they be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, just practice casting in in both, depending on which lodge you're going to go to, both close quarters and long distance uh, with big flies and rods ranging, you know, from the seven to the nine weights, especially, you know, those those big flies in in close quarters where you're really only putting it out 20, 30, 40 feet, just practice your accuracy. But yeah, I mean, just be proficient with seven, eight weight rod and, and you'll be good. Okay, seven eight way, yep, and then uh, and we touched on that a little bit. If anybody wants to check out what you guys have, you have obviously all the the reels, but this rod line is this something? Yeah, uh, talk about that just briefly. Yeah, yeah, those velocity rods just killed it. They're they're made to be kind of an all around fast action rod. They work perfectly for for this situation, especially those eight weights, because you got a lot of backbone to them. Really easy to turn over those big streamers, those big fly lines, and good fast action to really kind of punch through any wind or, or, you know, anything that comes up. 
really enjoyed those those rods. We were fishing the Lightspeed F reels, the Speedster S reels. Um, those things held up beautifully. Just you know, put the brakes on them, no problem. And uh, and yeah, that was the main gear we were using on this trip. That's it. Okay, and uh, perfect. Well, I think, uh, and it sounds like Nervous Waters. Other than you know, are they? I mean, if somebody want to dig into this trip, they could either check in with Nervous Waters or there are other. You know, what would you recommend for kind of learning more about taking this thing further that we talked about today? Yeah, definitely check out Nervous Waters. I mean, they're a powerhouse. They have fishing and hunting lodges throughout South America oh, wow. and in the Caribbean, and everything they run is is just top notch. And you can also just, you know, follow PETA Lodge, follow Suinda Lodge on on Instagram, check out their websites. Um, okay. That'll give you a more detailed look at their programs and the fishery and, and kind of everything that they have going on. Yeah, so PETA is spelled P-I-R-A. Oh, okay, R-A, yeah. Okay, and then what's the other one? And then the other one is Suinda, and that's S-U-I-N-D-A. Suinda. Perfect. Perfect. Good. Yeah. They're both, both words from the indigenous language. They're the Guarani indigenous tribal language. There's that I believe PETA means, gosh, I had it. And, and I think Suinda means fish or, or something along those lines. They're both fishing related. I just can't remember the exact definitions right now. That's awesome. Uh, we'll get you in the show notes with uh, some fun facts there on, on that. We'll try to add that as well and uh is there any i'm not curious you know we uh, sometimes do a little bit of a conservation uh kind of minute sort of thing but are there any any big issues people could be thinking about did anything come up when you're there where you're like well oh, this this yeah. year i mean it's it's pretty grim right now as far as the drought situation it hasn't gotten any better since we were there and fires have started which is oh, wow. pretty crazy if you think about like it's it's a tropical climate normally very humid lots of water and for it to be burning as much as it is, especially up on the upper Panama river, it's, it's yep. a pretty bad situation. I know they did have to close down Pita lodge a couple weeks ago because the water was just so low. They couldn't navigate the marsh, but I'm sure that's going to recover. You know, the, the water will come back. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I know it's been really tough on them just this last month or two. Yeah. They've done a lot of cool stuff as far as, studying dorado i know at suinda lodge i think they did something with patagonia where they tagged a lot of these golden dorado to find out you know because there's resident fish and then there's migrating fish and so Uh they're getting a lot of information about that and i know they worked with nervous waters and i think maybe even like the keep them wet or keep fish wet uh, campaign uh andy daniel chuck i think he might have been part of that um not super educated on on that deal that they did but i know they've done some stuff down there that's been pretty cool as far as conservation and and studying these animals that's it that's exactly what i was hoping for and i'll I'll put uh, i'll follow up on that a little bit and maybe add something in the show notes to what patagonia or just so folks can connect more if they want to try to learn more help out and and do whatever they can so um Cool, Nick. Well, I think um, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I, I definitely am excited about this trip. I would love to. Uh, I'd love to go down there and, and win this giveaway we got going. So, what, tell us again where we should send everybody either to check out your rods or to get on this giveaway. Yeah. So the giveaway is going to run April 4th. It's a Monday through the 18th, which is a, a two week run. 
and it'll be open to anybody to sign up for free. All you got to do is, is go to the sign up page. We'll have a link in our bio and in both our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram. There'll be links on our website as well on the homepage. And so you'll be seeing it. We'll be doing posts. Big shout out to the other companies that were involved. Scientific Anglers, Umqua Flies, um, Bahio Sunglasses, oh, cool. and Duck Camp. Um, yeah, they all helped out on this trip as far as gear and, and, and everything. And they were all great to work with. And of course, nervous waters, um, one of the coolest, you know, outfitting companies in in all of South America between fishing and hunting. And they even have some saltwater projects going. So yeah, they were just great to work with. That's really cool. Yeah. Those are all awesome. And we've connected with some of those companies along the way. So yeah, and I'm going to get you and, and Santiago together so you guys can do an episode just uh, yeah, because he's an interesting guy, and uh, I think he's got a lot to talk about between all the stuff that they do at Nervous Waters that uh, listeners would be pretty stoked on. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Yeah, I think that would be a good uh, follow-up on this to really just dig into some more of this stuff. You hear about Nervous Waters so much out there, you know, as you get into it, so obviously they're doing some good stuff. Yeah, I will put this in the uh, show notes, uh, everything to easily enter this giveaway. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just keep in touch with you, Nick, as we're moving forward. I'm sure we're going to find something else to to work on and, you know, maybe another uh, cool trip or two. And uh, yeah, thanks again for giving us a little uh, view of what this looks like. And it sounds like an amazing trip. And uh, we'll keep in touch with you. Definitely. Always, uh, always a pleasure to sit down with you, Dave. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links, and everything else, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 304. And if you want to get in on this giveaway, wetflyswing.com slash gold, G-O-L-D, will direct you to the right place that'll take you there. This is a big giveaway. This is a massive uh, location that I would love to go on, and I hope you win this thing. Get over there, check it out, and uh, and get your name in the hat, and hopefully... Hopefully, you will be heading to northern Argentina. Uh, so, But let, let's, uh, let's just thank uh, uh, Nick for putting this all together and for the episode today. You can subscribe to this episode by going to wetflyswing.com slash subscribe, and you'll get notified when that next episode goes live. And that next episode is going to be a big one. We've got Dominic Swintoski on from Trout Bitten again to break down uh, the whole Euro mono tight line nymphing and, and even a little bit of dries. This is another great one with Dominic. So if you want to hear that episode, uh, I believe this is coming out this week. Uh, you can subscribe and I will notify you directly. Or actually, I won't. The computer will. Uh, the app that you use, uh, maybe that's Spotify, maybe that's Apple, whatever that is. It, you'll get notified. It'll be you'll just open up your phone. You'll be like, hey, my gosh, look at this. I'm going to learn about this topic. So check it out and, uh, and go for it. Uh, thank you for the support this week and for the listens. And if you had a chance to share, appreciate you. I appreciate you. Uh, I know you have a lot of options out there. So appreciate you listening in all the way till the end here. And I hope you enjoy that next episode. Looking forward to seeing you on the water or maybe seeing you online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.